Hello, and welcome to Evaluand. This is the show where we interview people about any and all things evaluation related. I am your host, Dana Jane Linnell, recording on the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe people in Menominee, Wisconsin. Today, I'm excited to chat with Corey Newhouse and Jessica Mantemeyer from Public Profit. Have you ever done any great work with clients just for that report to go ignored or not used? After all that hard work, all that great learning, it becomes unclear whether they're continuing to apply what they've learned, what you've learned through the evaluation process. Or maybe you're still working with the client, but you've finished a project and are starting the next one and realizing they just haven't really implemented any of the recommendations or learning from the previous evaluation. So Corey and Jessica are here today because they've been working on designing and implementing evaluation capacity building activities that help avoid all of that. I'm really excited to learn more about what they've been doing. So Corey, Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Before we dive into today's topic, maybe each of you could spend a few minutes to introduce yourselves for our listeners, a little bit about you, your evaluation background. I always love to hear how people got into evaluation, uh, as well as your organization, Public Profit. Thanks so much, Dana. Really glad to be here with you. This is Corey Newhouse. I'm the founder and principal of Public Profit. Uh, I would imagine most listeners to the podcast are familiar with evaluation consulting, and we are those. Uh, I would say our special sauces as evaluation consultants are our very participatory and action-oriented approach to evaluation. We really want our clients, whether in philanthropy, nonprofit, government, to use what we're learning uh, to to change their practice, improve the quality of their work. Uh, and that's so much of what we wanna talk about today. Uh, we've I founded Public Profit a little over 15 years ago, uh, which feels like the blink of an eye and my whole lifetime all at once. Um, and just so proud of the, the work that we've done, the team that we have and the amazing clients that we have. Jess, I'll hand it to you. Great, thank you, Corey. Um, I'm Jessica, uh, Jess, and I um, have been at Public Profit for be 12 years this summer. So most of that 15 years I've been there. Um, and I got my start in nonprofit work. I was a program director in youth health, women's health, queer health nonprofits, um, and always wanted to talk to the evaluators when they came <laughs> when they came in, which is not the case necessarily for everyone. Um, and so got to know Corey because she was the evaluator for somewhere I worked and uh, she gave me a job. She took a, ch- she took a, took a chance on me and I think it's worked out okay. Um, so I, um, and, and for me, hearkening back to my days in nonprofits, uh, the being mission driven means we want to do good work. We want to know that we're doing good work. And to me, that's what evaluation is all about, um, is helping people understand and, and the ways in which they are, in fact, doing good work. Awesome. Thank you for that. And congratulations on 15 years of public profit, 12 years working there. That's very exciting. It's Yeah, it feels really great. And and I remember like it was yesterday, Jess was the, the person who would come up to me after the meetings and ask all the really <laughs> hard questions that... Uh, I, su- I soon learned uh, to be ready to answer. And so it's been a, a wonderful 12 years to be working together. Well, definitely a good reason to then hire her to, to join you, right? Totally. Asking those great questions. Totally. Sounds like an evaluator. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, 
awesome. So um, going to today's topic, um, clearly you're not the only ones who experience this problem of sometimes the learning not uh, being learned, right? Of uh, the evaluation report going into what we sometimes like to call the file drawer in our evaluation work with our clients. So I'm curious, like, where did this all start? Where did, when did, for you, did it become very clear that like you need to start re-examining how to make sure the learning happens? Like how to, how to make sure that people are actually incorporating it into the work that they do. Yeah, thank you, Dana. And I'll, I'll offer a few thoughts. Uh, this is Corey, and, and then we'll invite Jess to, to say some, some additional things. You know, there's a, a couple, couple moments in my professional career that just really stand out for me that, that have led us down this path. And, and one was years back when I met someone who'd been featured in some really seminal and uh, analysis and evaluation around youth development, um, positive youth development out of school time is, is where I got my professional start and, and where my heart is in a lot of ways. And, and honestly, it was like meeting Celine Dion or something like, like meeting someone who was like part of, who was like the subject of all of this research. And she barely remembered it <laughs> was like, oh yeah, there were those like nice people who like wore suits and gave me a gift card. And then like three years later, they sent me a report and that was cool. That was nice. And, and that was just like this lightning bolt moment of, oh my gosh, this, this research that has contributed in so many ways to how we think about out-of-school time, youth development, went totally, almost totally unnoticed by the person who was actually doing the thing. And, and that just got me thinking about how evaluation can be distinct from research, how it can be more action-oriented uh, and, and more relevant to the, the amazing people who are doing the work. So, so that was sort of like thing, experience one for me that really set me on the path as an evaluator uh, to being really action focused. And from day one, we have always provided, given data back uh, at the most micro level we can, usually at a program level. A lot of our work is with a you know, citywide network of out of school time programs or multiple grantees, for example. And so we're always wanting to get that data back as quickly as we can in ways that respect confidentiality. And, and that's always been part of just how we do things and wanting to demonstrate that reciprocity, but also to make sure that folks have the chance to use that information uh, to improve their practice. I think what, what I'm really excited about and what I wanna ask Jess to, to mention more about is sort of more our pivot toward explicit focus on evaluation capacity building. And I think it was a really natural evolution for us as an organization, for, for us as practitioners to take, take what we had been putting into our evaluation engagements and make it something new and distinct. Um, and I think, again, it really built from that, that impulse to have, have evaluation be non-extractive, to be, have it be additive and, and have it be practice focused. Thanks, Corey. Um, yeah, I'll add, um, for me, it's so connected to uh, having come from nonprofit and, and, and like Corey, a lot of youth development and even, and even in particular with doing teen health and working with teenagers um, at the start of my career, um, how getting people in, how sharing power, getting people involved in the process is so important in the program side and how that should also be true on the data side. 
Um, so that's been um, that I think that was one of the ways that Corey and I were able to come together really well is because we, we sort of had that, you know, similar perspectives in that way, based on our previous work and our approach and our approach to evaluation. Um, and so so in, so the natural extension of that or a natural extension of that is um, is, is that uh helping people understand the process of evaluation has always been a part of our engagements like uh we've always been interested in bringing people along helping people understand the why we're doing it having people participate in the evaluation work sharing data back was is sort of one of the um and, and closing those feedback loops and having a participatory process of data review has been really important to our practice for for the whole time um and so once that was already part of all of the evaluation projects, it just became natural that we would do some pro projects would just be about that, right? So, and that started with youth development organizations, but now it's not just youth development organizations, um, but it's, but it got its start in organizations like uh, YMCA of San Francisco, where we we worked with their sort of mid-level youth development managers across many of across their like 16, 18 branches or something to help them better use data that they were having to collect for the city or for the school district, right? Because they were partnering with all of these government institutions. And so how could they sort of take control of like re reclaim, I should say, reclaim the data they were having to collect, understand it, interpret it, use it not ask young people to complete a seventh survey, right? They already had to do one or two. Um, and so that process came about really naturally um, in that case of helping those folks um, who are really smart about their program understand then how the data fit into it and how to use that to help uh, learn and improve. And then uh, I'll just add that more recently, we can talk more about this in a bit, um, have, have had the great opportunity to partner um, with another um, with a set of um, folks who aren't necessarily in youth development, a couple of different organizations, a couple of different cohorts of organizations over the years um, in helping them develop their evaluation capacity internally as a cohort model. And that's been also really great. Oh, I mean, it's interesting. Are these people who are doing evaluation and you're building their evaluation capacity as like a cohort model? Is, is that what you're talking about? Um, great question. It's actually a mix on intentionally designed as a mix. Um, there's uh, a couple of organizations, each organization is sending a data person and a organizational lead. Sometimes that organizational ah. lead is also a data person, but, but for the most part, we get someone like this program director and the head of evaluation or the senior analyst and the COO. Um, who are um, who are going through the cohort experience um, so that we have a person who knows the data well um, that we're doing some capacity building with around, um, around accelerating their evaluation work in the organization, but then also someone who can like leverage some organizational resources in support of it. So it's an intentional decision to ask people to come in pairs. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so cool. I, I, I like the intentionality of bringing in the org person. I think... Um, it also, it sounds like it builds in that evalu evaluation championship within the organization too. It's not just yes. the data person doing their data work, reporting out and just done, right? But it bringing it into the larger organization through that intent. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I'd love to, to get more into that. I don't know if we want to start there or start with some of the other stuff because I, I have a ton of questions already. Um, this is very exciting. I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering, I want to what extent like the California legislation for like after school programs, to what extent that kind of helps spur along a lot, a lot of this, because um, I feel like in my practice, when I was in grad school doing work in after school programs, um, that that leg legislation, I don't remember the number at this point, um, but uh, what, 2016, 2017, when um, mm -hmm. they required a continuous quality improvement plan as part of the yearly reporting for after school programs. And it just completely allowed us to focus on ECB as part of our evaluation efforts with our after school providers that we were partnering with, as opposed to just like, here's your yearly report and it, those were fun, but like now it's like really getting in and, and getting dirty with them, you know, of like looking at things and helping them understand what does this mean, how to collect this data, how to interpret this data, how to make meaning of this in your own local context at your own sites. Um, Cause I, you know, I hear a lot of the same things I felt like uh, focusing on like those mid-level managers. That was, that was the, the, the perfect group to be working with. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'll stop there. Yeah, and thank you so much, Dana. I, I, I totally agree. And, and that California is just well, well ahead of the curve when it comes to public support for out of school time. And as I was listening to you speak, what it what it made me think of was the, the terrific opportunity that we as evaluators have to make the most of those kinds of policy opportunities. Yeah. Um, most mm -hmm federal grants, most many state grants have some sort of an evaluation attached. And I feel like it, it can be a really exciting opportunity, a, a decision point for us as evaluators to think about how to, how to make this more than just a meet the funder requirement and, and to make it something to, to, to make it something different. And, and for me, that really keys in on, I think, two big lessons learned that, that I've had around our evaluation capacity building work over the years. And one is a lot of folks in, in nonprofit and, and education and other, other sectors that we work with are rightly suspicious of evaluators because if all you've ever experienced is a biannual fire drill where you are running around trying to get data for some random report for some funder you've never <laughs> heard of, your ED's breathing down your neck, like who wants to do that? That's like, of course, like that, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And I think, it, and, and so how do we, you know, how do we as people in a position of power really try to upset that, that particular dynamic? Mm -hmm. And then I think another thing, and, and as just mentioned, even if it is within the context of like, this is the data you already have to collect and that's a whole other podcast episode we can do, <laughs> um, but, but how do we, you know, how do we make the most of it? And for me too, it was a, it was a big revelation of the, the deficit-based thinking that so many evaluators had, so many of us in the evaluation field had trained into us, I believe, that people in, in people doing the work don't care about quality, aren't passionate about improvement, don't believe in data. None of that is true. Um, and so how can we really, again, make the most of those those decision points, those opportunities that we have um, to, to do things differently. Um, and, and so much of that is about unlearning. Uh, for a lot of us, so much of that is about unlearning how we were trained, or at least some of the implicit things about how we were trained. Um, and I think there's some really exciting 
opportunities, again, thinking about those policy policy windows that both public and especially private funders are really getting more interested in learning, authentic learning rather than rote reporting or proving, proving that you've produced exactly 27 widgets in the three month period that you said you would. Um, and, and that, again, I think it just really opens the, opens the door for evaluators to not just incorporate evaluation capacity building, but into their evaluations, but to do evaluation capacity building as, as its own thing. Well, I think there's something, I think there's something in what you said, Dana, about specifically in California, the CQI process, because that that maybe that didn't have to go this way, but I think we took it that that way, um, uh, which was which was great for and I, by we I mean the state of California, yeah. um, that uh, that it wouldn't be a box just to check that it was meaningful, um, that there would be support to do it well, um, and I think there's a whole system of you know, actually called the system of support in California <laughs> <laughs> for that, um, and. Uh, uh, to really try to counteract the narrative that this is a box that we need to check for the state. and But more, it's about what does good practice look like for after-school programs and for, for the, and, and in order for young people to get the full benefit from them that we are so desperately hoping for. Um, and uh, and, and so there was a, there was, a, there was a lot of, a, there was a real great community response. There had, there is still, there has been a really great community response in California, um, to, to, to value, to sincerely value CQI and, and therefore, uh, open the door for, um, for evaluation capacity building, um, since they go so, there's, they go so hand in hand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Something I, I am hearing a lot in our conversation so far is is how we help our clients understand the value that evaluation can bring to their organization, like mm -hmm. what it is, and and perhaps also how it's different from research. I um you know obviously I'm a little passionate about that topic from some of my past research, but I'm curious how you navigate that conversation with clients of communicating to them um, what evaluation is or can be for them. Um, and perhaps if they have some experiences with research, how you perhaps differentiate yourselves from just coming in as a researcher. You know, I actually, uh, where my brain went to is, um, uh, we do, we do, we do so much. And again, this is, this is less in our explicitly, specifically evaluation capacity building projects, but more in the ECB that we're doing as we go all the time, just as a matter of course, um, is is really helping folks um, uh, uh, figure out how to start manageable and start small. And I think that is a is a place that is different than research, where you're starting only with the research question and how you're going to make that work. Um, maybe I'm oversimplifying that, but but nonetheless, uh, on the evaluation side. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we do a lot of level setting at the very beginning, you know, here's some and sharing of other people's materials, right. That, that help, help, help with this. So what, what stage in your, pro are you a piloting a program? Is this a mature program? There's different kinds of evaluation that go with that. Let me share with you some information about what kinds of evaluation there are different. A, there are different evaluation approaches, by the way, B, 
depending on what kind of where you are with your program, how settled it is, how emergent it is, how much you're iterating, how much you're stable, um, there might be a different kind of evaluation that we want to suggest for you. And let's have a conversation about which wor what works best. Um, or, uh, you know, we get people that, that think that they need to um, do something closer to research on all of their, you know, maybe they have multiple programs and you do something closer to research on all of them. And we go, okay, well, wait, are you, are you doing sort of your baseline monitoring and tracking of everything? Let's start there. <laughs> and then think about like participant feedback um, of their experience and sort of move up. And, and that there's a framework called the tiers framework that I use a lot with clients and in, in terms of, um, it comes out of the Jewish family and children's services organization based somewhere in Massachusetts. Um, uh, Laura Beals, shout out to you. Um, and, uh, the, um, the, uh, and so helping people understand, oh, we don't have to do, we don't have to do it. when people only have that research idea, that idea that evaluation is connected to research and inherit sort of an assumption about what that is. It's sort of really refreshing for them. I think for us to say there are alternatives that you might consider. And in fact, that we would recommend. And I think for me, the, and, and what we try to communicate with our, with our prospective clients, especially is, is that the, the starting point is different um, with evaluation and, and certainly with evaluation, the way that we try to practice it, that we were all about the data to improve uh, more than data to prove. And that we, we want to center our work in, in the questions of practice that are most salient, most important to our clients, which incidentally, I think is one of the, the secret sauces of, of the, uh, the evaluation, the ECB cohort that Jess mentioned, and, and we can talk about in just a little bit, because um, as we know, so many of the methods are, are similar, but the to what end uh, is really different. And, and I think that there have been um, another way that, that we've really tried to live our own values as evaluators and, and, and enhance the evaluation capacity of our, of our clients is to really push back on those textbook ideas of what data is, what rigor really is, quote unquote, really. Um, because of course, in, in the really diverse settings that our clients are working in, um, culturally responsive methods is rigor. It, it is not an alternative. It is not a nice to have it. It is rigor. And so how do we, how do we think really strategically, really thoughtfully, really rigorously about not just those questions, but those sources of evidence? Um, and that, 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 is, that, is, that is different from research, that is for a different purpose for research. And I think is, is something that I really love about the, the organizations that we work with is that they've, they've made their way to us or vice versa because they, they are really excited about getting better at what they do, enhancing the quality of their work. Um, in a, in, and, and that, that they're, they're open-minded about how we get there together, which I really love. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. I'm curious, kind going back to all these things that you are doing to build capacity, whether it be um, kind of embedded within the evaluation processes that you normally do or through this cohort, um, what are some of these, what are some of the things that you are doing to help make evaluation stickier for your clients, more sticky? You know, and as I was reflecting on on this in advance of, of today, um, 
I was thinking about one, there's a, I think this is interesting based on the anecdote you shared at the beginning today, Corey, about that, that sort of moment where, um, uh, someone had been part of a study and then didn't really realize how important the study was, even though they were sort of a subject of it. Um, the, that building, building a trusting relationship and be in partnering with folks just is sort of something that has to happen as part of this, I think. Um, uh, so taking the time to get to, you know, just taking the time to get to know people and understand where they're coming from. Um, and that seems so obvious and so simplistic in some ways, but I think as I was looking back on all of our, on, on the work that really stands out to me in terms of what has been, what has really been sticky, we took the time to build really great relationships with the folks. Um, uh, most, that was a, a key, key common feature. Um, and then in terms of the cohort itself, um, so a little bit more about the group. Um, we're now in our fourth cohort, the last, the third of which, uh, the first one less so, but the last three have been very explicit in terms of uh, use, come together in a cohort and your, your project, your task, the organizations is to examine an issue of equity in terms of their participant outcomes and get support in measuring that and determining some next steps and actions that they want to take as an organization to change, improve, learn, continue to learn from um, whatever it is that they find. And so um, we, I feel like what is special about those, that cohort, sort of the special uh, features of that that allow it to work well have been, um, oh, uh, an appropriate application of urgency. <laughs> so sense of urgency, as probably many of us are aware, is one of those characteristics of white supremacy culture that we should all have a critical, uh, we should look at critically and we should think about critically. Um, and there are real things that are urgent, like people continuing not to get um, adequate housing, people not having enough food, um, people continuing to feel those effects of poverty. Um, and so these organizations are all working in some form of poverty alleviation. So there is actually something kind of urgent about their work. So that um, that uh, appropriate sense of urgency in terms of the topic of the cohort has been helping helping it stick. Um, and then um, it's a it's a mix of um, uh, uh, having them pick a question or something that they want to tackle that is small. So I, I mentioned this earlier, starting small or starting with something manageable. We really help them think about, yes, there's 50 questions and 500,000 data points that you would like to analyze. And like, what can you do in six months to get to a place of having something to say about uh, equitable outcomes for your, for your population? and and then inform the organization and then you can ask the next set of questions like keep the you know that will keep the momentum going um and then you can ask the next set of questions um so keeping it manageable and then we we also offer um uh coaching and support i think this goes back to the relationship building that there's a, a couple of different ways that we build the relationship with them over time including uh building a relationship as a cohort building one-on-one -on -one relationship with coaches um, and providing some um, data technical assistance for people who are like trying to learn a new way of doing the data 
we have some folks on, who help them think that through um, uh, qualitative, I'll just say, spoiler alert, qualitative being one of the number one things that folks working as internal evaluators don't have time to do, don't have a lot of experience doing, maybe in the Bay Area, a lot of folks are transferred over from tech-ish kinds of fields. And so that qualitative is not really part of their experience. So that's actually been uh, one of the ways that we can really help people advance their evaluation practice and um, yeah, do that. And, and a couple of things just to, to, to layer onto that. And, and again, just want to, I don't think we've had the chance to do so yet. want to express appreciation for Sipping Point community, which has the Bay Area funder that has been uh, in, in many ways, the catalyst and funder and co-designer co of all of this. And, and they're totally amazing. Uh, also, the Irvine Foundation supported uh, supported this initiative. Uh, and we work really closely with an organization called Change Today. Uh, and, and that was something that I, that I wanted to mention there, that this work, especially when we're, the, the iterations that, that this cohort has taken in the last few years around an explicit focus on equity, that then means that there are, are technical and adaptive questions, needs in the mix, and, mm -hmm. and that that's a framework that is just helpful to us in, in so much of our evaluation capacity building work. And having Change Today, which is an expert in organizational change in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, to, to really be our co-creators, co-facilitators, was, was absolutely necessary. Uh, and, and I think that it's been a, an incredibly productive and fruitful collaboration um, because we at Public Profit certainly bring the, the technical expertise. So we're, we're great facilitators, we're great coaches. And um, to be real, real, we, we, we also recognize that we, we were not, especially at that time, anywhere near being an expert advisor in diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And, and it would be, all sorts of problematic for us to to present ourselves as such. And so I think having that having that mindset around evaluation capacity building, attending to both the technical and the the adaptive organizational side of of this work is really essential. Um, and and just mentioned it briefing briefly and and just want to put a finer point on it. I think the logistically that each of the participating organizations, uh, is participating as, as a pair, that they are each working on a learning agenda specific to their organization, that they're each then getting tailored one-on-one -on -one support with from, from an evaluation coach, that those are, those are all essential. Um, and I think that's what, what moves the, for me, that's what moves the cohort from being a set of trainings, which folks may or may not take things from um, and apply to their work to, to being actually an evaluation capacity building engagement. And, and both are important. Um, we certainly all have learned great things from, from workshops and workshop series, but I think that the stickiness is that those through lines around the, the learning agenda, the coaching, and that, that pairing of the data person and the program person. Um, and that that yeah, the, that, those are real, the real differentiators. And, and honestly, I think the, where the future of much capacity building, whether evaluation focused or otherwise, really, really needs to go in the, in the social sector. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
what you're saying about the qualitative and and how folks need support with the qualitative training. Um, I just did an e-study for AEA on quantitative methods, really um, introductory statistics, like really bare basic bone structure of doing statistics. Um, And it was fascinating how many people just wanted that refresher um, who needed some support of like just learning that stuff again, had forgotten, didn't need that support. But, um, you know, you can only do so much in a three hour training. And I did as much as I could. And, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, I do statistics consulting if you want. And I'm really excited for some of the people who reached out. I was like, I would love to like have you come in and like help us think about our organization and what we're doing to um, better use our data in a more efficient matter and manner and all that stuff. And I think that's, I think that's where the learning really will be, right? Um, um, you know, people could take that training and probably most of them will get something out of it. Um, but until it's so personalized mm-hmm. to them and their own experience, right? Individualized. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I'm really, I'd love to hear more about this because the cohort model, some of the things I'm kind of thinking about is like, um, it sounds like they each get paired up, like the pair of the organization also gets a, a coach, from public mm-hmm. profit, it sounds like. So you have a number of coaches who work with which with each organization individually, but then there's like a larger facilitated um, convening of everybody together as well. Yeah, yes, we, we um, um, it, there's a handful of sessions where we ask everyone to come together and they're half day um, and we bring some topic uh, topics, um, a couple of, of you know, little hors d'oeuvres for data or organizational change kinds of hors d'oeuvres for people to chew on um, and then ask people to to go into small groups and share with each other their own experience with it. So, you know, a little bit of a different format each time, but that's the big idea, right? Is here's a little bit of information, a a pre-read maybe. um, So that kind of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, giving information, idea. And then we really find there's a lot of value in the organizations talking to each other because they they tend to be in a, um, you know, they're not consultants, right? We, <laughs> both of the facilitating organizations, we are, we are consultants and we certainly know data and we know organizational change and, um, um, but we're not at the, we're no longer, if we ever were at the front lines of this kind of like reporting to the unknown funder scrambling once a year to pull data together that all of these organizations have some, they have some element of that still, right. It going on for them. So um, they, they get to commiserate, they get to share. Um, and I think, I, well, I, I don't think I know when you work as an internal evaluator, you're really isolated mm-hmm. from other evaluation folks. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, maybe you have some good people inside of your organization that you like, but, um, but, but you don't really get a chance to share um, and commiserate and strategize with other people who are kind of in this, who are in the same role as you somewhere else. And so I think that's one of the great advantages of this is people get to meet other people that that sort of evaluation person in that pair um, gets to meet other people and, and, and the other person in the pair, the sort of organizational lead um, may also be glad to have access to other folks who are going through some of the th- same uh, struggles in terms of managing organizational change, managing up, managing down, managing sideways, all the different things that folks have to do, calling people in, 
when, when the hard conversations need to happen. Um, so, so I think it's a great, it's a great place for folks to do that. And then yes, they get um, paired with a coach. So then when it comes down to diving into the details of their specific project, they get support from us and from the other, um, from Change Cadet, the other facilitators to, to strategize, uh, again, both on the adaptive side, how do you build equity culture? How do you align with your DEIB plan internally? How do you build data culture inside of your organization? And the technical side, how do you run a focus group? Is this, how would you edit this survey so that it does not take a participant 30 minutes to take it, but only 10 perhaps? <laughs> yeah. You mentioned an acronym real quick, DEIB. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Sorry, yeah, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Belonging, is, okay. In, in this case, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated to hear how people build relationships. It seems like this is at the crux of a lot of what you do. Um, and obviously so important to do at the beginning. And so I'm curious, like kind of logistically, how do you, what like timeline wise, what does this look like? How do you budget that into the evaluation, if at all? Um, <laughs> are there like activities you do? Like, I, I don't know, icebreakers or something, or is it more of you kind of couch it as like a, um, we're learning about your organization, but at the same time, we're also learning about you and building relationships, but maybe not being so explicit about that. I'm just, I'm curious what that looks like. You know, I, oh, I was so, I'm so excited to hear Corey's answer um, to this. <laughs> My answer is, um, I, well, one, since we've talked so much about being out of school time evaluators and youth development folks, but really our work, our portfolio is much more diverse and out of school time continues to be a part of it, but it's not even a majority of what we do anymore, not even close. Um, as we've shifted away from youth development, which has such a culture of icebreakers and team builders, and so the adults in that field know, you know, do that as a matter, you know, not always, not everywhere, but there's there's an acceptance and an understanding and an appreciation and a, a, a no, it's known. It is a thing we do in youth development, right, and after school. Um, and as we've moved into other sectors, you know, it's been interesting because people have had less experience with it. It's not something that they do as a, as a natural part of the work uh, in the same way, um, but we have brought it and continue to do it. So yes, um, definitely icebreakers, uh, uh, you know, paying attention to so our openings and closings of meetings when getting to taking the time to get to know people informally, but also definitely through formal structures. Um, uh, and, and having that just happen every time, right? I mean, people, you get to know people more and more over time. So you don't just need the icebreaker and introductions on the first meeting. You need to kind of, I feel we need to keep that going the whole time. And I think uh, the other piece, as, as I was reflecting for today, thinking about relationship building, there is, there's sort of two, at least two parts to that in my mind. And there's the, um, there's the, the easy part the nice part, the fluffy, not fluffy is not the right word, but there's the easy part, which is the icebreakers, is getting to know people when you first meet them, maybe doing an icebreaker every time after that. That's actually the easy part. The hard part is when is 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 um, being a critical friend <laughs> when things get hard 
or when you disagree with folks or when you when you feel like you need them to show up more or they need you to show up more in some way. And I think that has been when I think about the or the clients for and this is more again we're doing evaluation work, but ECB is part of that. And when the learning has stayed sticky in large, sometimes that maybe always, maybe often, I don't know, seems very connected to me that there's been a patch where we didn't understand each other. They didn't understand why we wanted them to do this, or they, you know, we didn't understand the question they were trying to ask. And we, and we had, we had a tough moment of trying to figure out and come to a common understanding. And when we got to the other side of that, the clouds part, the sun shines through, the evaluation learning stick. I so appreciate you asking Dana how to how to budget for it because yeah, who who wants to pay for? We will do icebreakers at the beginning of every every session. Um, I think there's a there's a couple couple big picture principles that that come to mind when when I think about how to build those relationships in, in the context of evaluation and evaluation consulting. Humility is top of the list for me um, that really, I as anybody who spends more than three seconds with me knows I'm, I'm very confident in myself as a professional and part of what I wanna do is, is to express appreciation and, and, and care and humility for what my colleagues who I'm working with are doing because just like I'm a rock star in what I do, they're a rock star in what they do. And, and so having having that professional humility first and foremost, I think really, really is essential to forming relationships, especially when there's unequal power dynamics, especially when, like for so many evaluation consultants, it's the funder that is is paying our way or or some other, you know, other stuff, much less race and, and class and gender dynamics as well. To me, also reciprocity is is a really important part of that of that relationship building, and and that that again just like any human relationship, surprise surprise, we you know we we thrive on on reciprocity and reciprocal opportunities, and so how to be really thoughtful and mindful about reciprocity um, in lots of different ways in our engagement, and then and then joy, and and I think that that is where. Um, things like icebreakers, things like a little bit of silliness, things like um, even even earnest joy, not even just silly joy, but but earnest joy plays a role because um, those of us who are in any kind of mission driven work, you know, we're we're trying to change the world. We're trying to change some of the hardest things to change. We're we're facing heartbreak every day, and we and we need to and we should and. Can we can we find joy together? Can we can we find that that happiness? And I think that 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 cues us up for those hard conversations. That cues us up for those moments where we are out of out of alignment. Um, but that uh, that that trust and that 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 common understanding that we're we're trying to get to the same thing is there. And and on the flip side, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we you know like anybody in evaluation, sometimes we come across organizations that really do just want to like find the bad apple and and punish them and that's not our thing and we you know say thank you good day on those kinds of engagements but almost always it really is again about that that shared commitment i appreciate that uh uh, the icebreakers is always a mixed bag right some people love them some people very much do not like them um 
but also I think that there's ways we can do them more effectively than some people do. It's, you know, like it's not just some random question, but there should be intentionality to it uh, for why we're all here. And it makes it more meaningful of a process. Um, and I appreciated just what you were saying about how the experiencing conflict can actually help bring a stronger relationship out. Um, obviously if it's navigated well, right? Um, Cause I, I think the flip could also be true. It could break a relationship pretty well, right? Um, so I mean, like, do you have an example that you could perhaps share? And if not, that's no worries of, of a time when you experience a conflict with the, uh, with the client that, that led to um, a better relationship with them after, after the fact? Yes, I can. Um, we, um, let's see. I don't. I. I, I probably don't want to name the organization. So I'm going to try. Yeah, to let's not do that. Talk a little ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to. Uh, do, I mean, we're we have a great relationship with them now, and have uh, you know, really, it's really solid. Uh, and they would also acknowledge that it was a winter, a rough batch. I, they have acknowledged. Um. Uh. We were, um, we were, we, we had been doing some, some data collection for them, uh, surveys of, uh, their, their folks and some interviews with their folks that they worked with. And, um, and it was time actually didn't start that way, but it's time to really get kind of a, a, a theory of change, um, for them. Um, there was a, it was an exploratory, more developmental evaluation up until that point. So it really wasn't appropriate for theory of change. And now it was time to do that and um and and like the 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 gears just didn't line up in terms of the, the staff not being on board about it uh, uh us asking questions that that then didn't seem to actually lead towards any great there like weren't really ending up going anywhere um so our process wasn't working very well for them but then they were having processes that we were kind of hearing about late and and kind of after we'd already walked one path and then suddenly there was this other path we were, we, they were wanting us to walk instead. Um, and, uh, and I don't think we were hearing, um, we were trying to, uh, we, we were, we weren't seeing their big picture fully either. So, you know, they weren't sort of bringing us along. We weren't seeing their big picture fully. And, um, and we had to have a couple of conversations. We we're like, why, why didn't you invite, why didn't you invite us to this? It would have been helpful for us to know, or, why didn't you include this? You, they ask us, why didn't you include this in your, in our, our piece? Uh, you know, so, so some, some, not a report, but some sort of diagram we had sort of drawn up of the theory of change. You missed this whole thing. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the, but, but I think what got us through is, and this is, this is a core Newhouse special too, that we all do, right? Something isn't working about this project. Just make a phone call in the world of zoom and email even text messages like call someone directly and say, this is, something seems off, what can we do? Um, and so I had a conversation with our main point of contact and that sort of started to free up some of the pieces. Um, and so then when we were able to come back together as uh, their team and our team together to serve their sub team and our sub team that works with them, um, that conversation had happened. We were able to talk about that conversation. Um, and I think, Luckily, all of this was also built on previous two and a half, three years of doing good work for them and providing good insights and having already done all those icebreakers. 
and built the relationship that we had with them so we could weather that particular storm and we're in a much stronger place now because of it but it really was maybe theory of change maybe maybe theory of change is always a little bit full of conflict uh building a theory of change but um that was kind of the the piece that just wasn't wasn't clicking and then we had to have some real honest conversations about why isn't this working oh you didn't do oh i didn't do oh, okay now we can move forward Oh, I so appreciate that story for a few reasons. One, mm -hmm. um, that it, I, I literally just read because uh, I assigned the eval failures book uh, to my students to read. So I literally just read your chapter, Corey, about like your eval failure. And it's interesting um, how, you know, I wonder how many of those, because you specifically specifically brought out at the end the importance of interpersonal dynamics right and and thinking interpersonally and all that stuff and had like had you made that phone call or had you you know and and I'm not even just you like all the chapters had we listened better had we had the hard conversation how many of those would have turned from failures to now we have this beautiful relationship with the client um and so I just I love hearing that um yeah. <laughs> and I, um, yeah, I, as a, as a millennial, I also struggle with the, uh, pick up the phone, um, and make that phone call. Um, but, uh, we, we have a class on interpersonal skills for our students uh, that our master students actually take, um, which is fabulous. I, I don't know if they realize until after the fact, how like critically important that class really is. Um, but like, I love teaching it because these skills, are so incredibly valuable and necessary for all of the work that we do, but also just being good humans in the world. And uh, I always remember a, a little side note, but uh, very much admiring you, Corey, for your networking skills. And I don't even know networking is the right word, but like, I remember being, feeling so like appreciated and valued when you invited me to dinner one time at AEA. And it was just like, and just to get to like network with other cool people doing evaluation in your little sphere of influence, right? And I just, I don't know, like those little things, they go a long way, don't they? It's funny that you mentioned that chapter because as, as Jess was speaking about the, the rocky patch with a client that ended up okay, I was thinking about the rocky patch <laughs> with that client that really didn't end okay. And, and uh, um yeah, I, I think I think some of it, I definitely, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I definitely have gotten a lot braver about naming when something is not working well and not just amongst ourselves kind of grousing and problem solving, but but to bring that to to our clients and that uh, and, and that that has been really important in terms of the evolution of our practice. I think especially as we are doing more, evaluation capacity building as we're doing more work that's kind of crossing the boundaries of evaluation and strategy where it just it's it's harder it's stickier it's it's less clear and and so we are going to run into some spots where we are misaligned or not understanding each other not having the whole picture and and having having the confidence in ourselves to know that we're still doing a good job or confidence in myself I'll speak for myself but I'm still doing a good job and we can get get out of alignment um, and, and just having that be part of uh, my identity as an evaluation consultant, as a, as a leader has been really important. Um, and simultaneously, I think, I think we've gotten a lot better over the years, Jess and I, especially about just calling it 
and when they're just that misalignment is not going to resolve the like just we have very different expectations about you know our client and, and us about about what the relationship is what the service is to to stop um, and and to walk away and, and thinking about that particular chapter in the book I we are not who they wanted and and they are definitely not who we wanted um, and I would have preferred not to have gotten fired and and we could have we could have exited that that experience um, yeah with our held, heads held a little higher than we than we did um, and learned a whole bunch from from that experience and and so that you know like so many things in, in retrospect with the benefit of, of years of uh, uh, other wonderful things happening uh, since then, um, definitely can take those lessons learned with us. Yeah. And maybe use that to pivot back to our main topic of mm-hmm. uh, evaluation capacity, because we, we took a couple tangents, but that's okay. Yeah, a little bit of free therapy thrown in yeah. there. It's good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, thinking of kind of, uh, and I don't like failures, lessons learned, right? Um, have there, were there some things that you tried to build, to, to use to build evaluation capacity, whether it be embedded in the evaluations that you were conducting or through this cohort training model that you were doing that just didn't work? Um, and are there things that you just don't do anymore as like, as a result of like, mm. you know, tried it a few times and just never seems to work. I'm curious if there mm. are any things that come to mind there. First one that came to mind for me is uh, starting with a theory of change <laughs> or starting with the logic model or any of those oh, things boy. <laughs> that, that we evaluators love. And that yep. is like page one in the textbook. I, I have learned not to start there um, that especially in an evaluation capacity building standpoint that what is top of mind for folks almost always, um, of course, there's the exception to prove the rule, but is how do we improve our survey? How do we aggregate this data to answer some questions that we have? How do I, how do I facilitate a focus group? Um, and the, and, and I've, I've seen this enough times that if we just put our oar in the water there and start working, we so- sooner or later, sometimes quite soon, sometimes quite late, we'll get to the place where whether, whether our client is calling it a theory of change, theory of action, logic model, Priscilla, you know, whatever they want to call it, they get to that point of like, hey, is there a way to like write down what we do and what we're about and how the data connects? And we say, well, yes, there is. And, you know, away we go. But but as a as like a, a day one, like let's get started kind of activity, it every time I've tried it, it's been a disaster. <laughs> so... That, that has just really influenced my thinking that it, it works eventually, but not like right away. Um, and then I think also, especially with the evaluation capacity building, as I mentioned earlier, I think trainings without follow-up coaching and technical assistance aren't, aren't, gonna, aren't gonna translate into an evaluation capacity building. The capacity won't be built. There might be some some tidbits, some lessons learned, some marginal changes at the at the edges. Their surveys are less bad, for example, but for it to really be sticky, to really you know persist and 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 extend, you gotta have that that coaching and, and technical assistance component to it. I, I can't. I cannot 
agree enough with what Corey just said about theory of change. Actually, um, just today, two years in, we finally were with one client. I was like, maybe it's time to do a theory of change. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah, probably. And I was like, yeah, two years in, two rounds of survey data, two rounds of focus groups, two rounds of an analyzing student outcomes, you know, finally, we're ready to actually think about how we might connect the dots. Um, and I'll be on the same page about what we're really talking about. Um, but but having um, um, having that be, uh, it, we, we would have been so bogged down in mean, something that would have felt meaningless if we tried to do it at the beginning, I think. Um, and the to what Corey said about helping them improve a survey, helping folks conduct their first set of focus groups around whatever question, that those are moments for helping people think about the two layers that are part of evaluation work, which is what is the bigger question you're trying to answer? And what are the specific questions in the protocol or survey instrument that you're going to use to get to that bigger question? And that's what it, that's in a large part what a theory of change is. What is the bigger theory of change that then you atomize into the different measurement components and indicators and tools that you use? And so the practice of going from the, it's not that you're writing a survey, it's that you're thinking evaluatively about what is the bigger question you want to answer and then how might a survey help you answer that. Um, that that's a great, that's a great place to start meeting folks where they're at in the, in the sense of urgency that they have, which is I need to get the survey to be better and work better for me. Then you, you're, you're building that skill of sort of that two layers of thinking, that evaluative thinking that is helpful at the theory of change or whatever it is later. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so good to know about the theory of change. Uh, <laughs> as, as somebody who teaches evaluation, uh, <laughs> if my students are listening to this, you're still going to do a theory of change. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but it makes a lot of sense, though, right, that um, if they come to it organically, they're going to have much more buy-in, Yeah. especially since, like, a theory of change is really about, like, okay, let's, like, visually or tabularly depict what you're doing as an organization and they're like well we know what we're doing why why would we do this activity uh just help us with what we need to do for our evaluation work um and you're right it goes hand in hand but until like they uh can recognize that like oh we need to step back and think about what are we doing organizationally and then how do we develop our evaluation plans as a result of that theories of change can really help with that. But, mm -hmm. oh, I really like that. Uh, also requires, I, I can imagine more long-term relationships with the clients you're working with. It's not going to be a one-off one-year evaluation client that's going to be able to work like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, in the last few years, uh, you mentioned to me that maybe some nonprofit philanthropic sector folks have been maybe suggesting that capacity building efforts should change and be re-envisioned. So any thoughts on on all of that and what what they're thinking, what your thoughts are on that? Absolutely. And, and this is Corey, I'll, I'll hop in and, and just uh, invite you to speak as well. And um, thinking uh, of... Uh, everybody's favorite uh, grumpy nonprofit vegan, Vu Lei, uh, who, uh, for those who don't know, uh, is an amazing speaker and, and observer of nonprofit life. And one of his, one of his uh, essays is about how problematic 
nonprofit capacity building can be, um, particularly when it is, and I'm speaking beyond evaluation capacity building, but but more broadly, um, when it is not attentive to the unique cultural needs of the organization, and and I use culture in a very broad sense, whether that is kind of you know based on on one's place of origin or because you're a youth development organization and you clap twice because you want people to hear you or you're a you know a, a, a different kind of uh, organization that doesn't doesn't want people to clap twice during their their icebreakers and and it, it really stuck with me because he he makes the point that if we really are going to demonstrate if if funders and capacity builders really are going to demonstrate again that that humility that asset based thinking um and and to have that capacity building be sticky the the, the organization or the teams that whose capacity is being built need to have a much larger voice in naming what that is and what that looks like. Um, and so it, it's not that I don't believe that there's there's not a role for capacity building. In our case, evaluation capacity building, we obviously think is really important and can have huge benefit. And I think that there are, as like there are a lot of unchecked assumptions right now about who, who decides what the important capacity building is and who should participate and why and when. Um, and, and so it's, it's, I think it's very much in reach to give that, give that a good shake, um, put, put the professionals who are doing the work in, in more of the driver's seat to name what they need, what they want, and, and to seek out the, the capacity building supports that, that they want. Um, and, and I think also that the, there is a, a, as in so many parts of our society, there's there's a push to scale, to scale everything, to serve more more people more cheaply, um, and that does not work for capacity building. Uh, and and I think we really need to push back against that for all the reasons that we've been talking about this this whole time with you. That that relationship building, that that customization, that um, that relevance um, for our our colleagues, our fellow adult professional colleagues. Uh, are are really essential, and and that there there are limits to what one can scale. Um, if you're thinking of a you know dollars per organization kind of model, um, and that that's that's a good thing, that's a great thing, and and we we shouldn't shouldn't feel shy about that. Um, so that's yeah that that's sort of what my read. Um, I I do disagree. There you know are some folks who say funders take every dollar that you spend on capacity building and put it in a general operating and leave us alone. And I, I don't, that that's not my perspective. Um, and I think there's a, a lot we can do to recenter uh, who, who is making the decisions about what, what capacity building is, is appropriate um, at what times and, and focused on what. Yeah. To me, to me, the, from, from what I have, what I have read and heard about this, this debate and this critique um, is, is that it's focused on capacity building, but it's really about the problem of funder nonprofit dynamics, uh, foundation nonprofit dynamics and the power, the power, the huge power imbalance. And um, that is part of that. And so if the capacity building is built, is, is deployed without critiquing that relationship, at the, then it's going to be deployed in a way that reinforces that relationship um, but that 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 uh, to to the point we made earlier about people people working in evaluation internal evaluation don't 
know other people and they don't always know what's going on or what's possible. Um, and not because they're, they're not capable people, but because they're very busy <laughs> and it's not always made available uh, to them by their organization. Maybe there's not someone in their organization who could connect them or they don't have time to connect. And I don't mean that in a paternalistic way. I just mean that in a like life happens and it's hard way. <laughs> We're busy. Um, and so I think in that sense, capacity building from a trust forward philanthropy or consortium um, can be uh, an invitation and a sharing of resources and uh, opening up of possibilities. Um, and that's what I, um, that's what I, I still see that as very possible and, um, and think that there's a place for capacity building in that spirit. Um, uh, evaluate for around evaluation. Yes, for sure. And other things too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense that it can't be just a top-down approach that capacity building still needs to be something that organizations are driving the efforts for those. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else related to capacity building, evaluation capacity building that we haven't talked about that you want to share before we wrap up? I do think that as I've been reflecting on, on the examples that we shared with you today, the, the fact that Jess and I and, and many members of our team are former teachers, trained as facilitators, uh, have just have, have backgrounds in presenting and creating learning spaces um, is really essential. And that that, depending, you know, the, the evaluation field is so amazing. We have such eclectic research, uh, training backgrounds and, and kind of we all, almost everybody fell into evaluation from somewhere. And, and so that that, I think just appreciating that that is a, that is a skill and, a, and one that can be developed and that is not always covered in one's professional training or, or other, other professional experiences and is, is a really important part of the process. Um, and that for, for evaluators who are interested in doing more evaluation capacity building, you know, either either to keep building those skills, getting getting training and support in in those skills themselves, or teaming with with folks who are facilitators, who are educators, um, is is really important um, because I think that is that that is one of the things that really sets the table for for all of the learning, all of the all of the stickiness that that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was realizing that we were. Not taking it for granted, but that that was sort of the the water that we little fish were swimming in. Um, that it was important. That part of what makes it work for us. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, Jess, anything from you? Um, I I just want to reiterate that that um, the you know, we've talked about relevance, sense of urgency. To me, those are intertwined in this conversation. In that, whatever is that that evaluation capacity building that meets organizations where they're at with what they what they need to move their work forward next. Um, what is what is keeping them awake at night because they don't feel like it's working well, but they would like to make it work better. Whether that's learning for their organization, you know, sharing learning back to their organization or getting that survey to get them better information. That starting with that um, uh, and being able to help people meet that, you know, help support people to meet their own need in that. Um, and then going from there is, is I, is I think a critical piece of, 
of successful sticky evaluation capacity building. Definitely. Thank you. So one thing I like to do when I wrap up is uh, something that Code Switch, the podcast from NPR used to do. They would ask what song is giving you life right now. But I'm curious what in evaluation in the evaluation space is giving you life right now? Oh, boy. So many things. My mind is spinning. Um, but the the one that comes to mind, um, how many women are starting evaluation consultancy businesses? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, and it just gives, it is such a sense, source of joy and happiness. And it just, yeah, makes my day every day. Yep. Yep. Shout out to everybody, all my girlfriends and others that are starting firms. Cause that's scary. That is scary. I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I went the route I went partly from, I don't want to say fear, but just like the idea of starting a consultancy firm on your own, even as a one, one person shop is it's, it's yeah. tough. So kudos to everybody doing that. Yeah. Um, I'll say right now that what is bringing me joy, many things are, but one thing that's bringing me joy right now um, in evaluation is the um, conversations about how to do rigor differently. Um yeah how to move away from strictly RCTs or experimental designs, quasi-experimental designs to um, how to do rigor um, from, a, from a qualitative point of view, process tracing, how to keep equity at the center of how you define rigor, um, racial equity among others, other forms of equity. So um, that is really making me, um, uh, that's making me making me real happy, intellectually happy <laughs> to be thinking about that and thinking how to apply that to our projects um, because it feels um, it, it just feels so right. Yeah, yeah, I do appreciate the, the the larger conversations that not just evaluators, but I think researchers are also starting to really have those conversations too, which I think is very needed, right? Um, a part of it, I think, comes from that post-positivistic perspective to the work that we do. And I don't think a lot of people, I think more people are moving away from that paradigm, uh, which is, I think, a promising move. So awesome. Thank you. Um, so just to wrap up, last thing, uh, I will have in the show notes uh, your contact information, info at publicprofit.net and your website as well. Um, but is there anything that's coming up from e for either of you that uh, anything fun personally or professionally that you want to share with our listeners today? I am going to New Zealand. This is Corey. I'm going to New Zealand this summer Ooh. with my partner, Ryan. Uh, we are going to go see a couple matches of the Women's World Cup. So we're going to go see U.S. Women's National Team nice. uh, and um, see a very beautiful country that neither of us been to. Uh, and I'm very excited to see if the water does actually go down the drain the opposite direction that it does in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> I don't think it does, but if it does, <laughs> I, I will, I will, you'll be first to know, Dana. I'll come back <laughs> on the show and tell everybody all about it. I'll have videos. <laughs>
And I'll, I'll, I have many exciting evaluation and work-related things coming up, uh, but uh, the including more of this cohort work that we've been talking about. But the, uh, but in the same vein of like a personal thing that's coming up, my, um, my, my twelve-year-old now will be thirteen by then, and my seventy-five-year-old dad and I are going to go uh, on a week-long wilderness canoe trip, not far Ooh. from you, Dana, in, uh, in northern, in, in western Ontario, north of Minnesota. Um, which is which is something that is goes back to my days of my my grandfather did this he did this with my dad my dad and I have done it and now I'm taking my daughter Aww. on it um, and we're gonna spend a week in the Quetico which is a provincial park in Ontario in the wilderness watching loons eating dehydrated food swimming <laughs> swimming in a glacial lake you know old glacial way old glacial lake um, every day so I'm really excited about that. That sounds lovely. Oh, I'm glad you both have wonderful trips to look forward to. I'm hopefully going to go visit my parents this summer, go into <laughs> sunny, hot Southern California, but I'm yes. excited. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Nice change of pace. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you both so much. I really enjoyed hearing from both of you about how you're building evaluation capacity uh, embedded in your evaluations and beyond. I'm really fascinated about the, the trainings and stuff. So thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you coming on today. Thank, thank you, you so much. I really Dana, appreciate the opportunity. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Great to talk to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evaluland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evaluland.